Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I, I'm Dave. Hey, somebody said it. Hey, good morning, Dave. Good morning to you. Hey, uh, as we get started, uh, we have some family business. If you're visiting with us, we don't do this every weekend, but uh, just a couple things. Uh, if Two Rivers Church is your church home, uh, this past summer we talked about uh, the vision that God has for us over the next period of time, uh, the next decade, really. And uh, we talked about, as part of that vision this summer, that part of that is financially participating and uh, you deserve an update, right? You deserve to know what's going on. So out of Vision Weekend, we, we headed then into July, and every single campus had an air conditioner break. And um, do you guys know air conditioning is expensive? Do you know that? Yeah, so every, every campus had an air conditioner break. Uh, we had to replace a main water line that sprung a leak, and the city's like, well, that's not us. That's on you. So just so you know, uh, that has happened. And I know that giving to help a, a coffee shop for disadvantaged uh, people is, is exciting, and giving to help uh, repair air conditioning is not. Um, but just thought you deserved to know. Uh, when we have to pay those kinds of bills, we live within our means, and it, it robs from us being able to do ministry. So just thought you should know that. A second thing that we did talk about in our Vision Weekend is um, that this year, and we've been asking you to pray about a beard and campus pastor. Do you remember this? Some of you, some of you, like each week, you'd be like, hey, any update on a beard and campus pastor? I've been praying. I want to say thank you. Thank you for praying because we have an update on a beard and campus pastor. And the answer is we have one. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but, but uh, a TBD. So you're going you're gonna to find out more about uh, him, his family, uh, who that is after he tells his employer. So um, <laughs> that's an important part. That's an important part. Uh, but we're excited. We're excited for the Bearden campus. Uh, we're, we're totally thrilled. And so that's been a huge, huge answer to prayer for us. Also, uh, just a quick update. Uh, we, we provide these journals just for you to follow along. Don't make a dime on them. Just give them to you for cheaper than you can buy them on Amazon. And uh, we're going to go into the book of Revelation following Labor Day weekend. And so some of you are like, oh, yeah, let's do it. Some of you are like, oh, no. <laughs> uh, so it series is going to finish up our year. We'll be in that series uh, September, October, November, actually in December, we'll, we'll be in the book of Revelation as well. So uh, if you want to pick one of those up, they're three bucks on all of our campuses. We're in a series, though, called Listen, where we've been talking about an ancient Jewish prayer. Really, it's a, a group of scriptures that are rep rep uh, recited, repeated twice daily uh, that declares um, an oath of allegiance to the God of the scriptures. The word is Shema. It means to hear or to listen. And it's the first word found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, that, that says, Hear, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And we've talked about that we're not Jewish people. And so the goal isn't that we would recite this twice a day, that we would go through these scriptures and we would memorize them and do them twice a day. Although if you want to do it, that's cool. I'm not saying don't do that, but that's not the goal for us as followers of Jesus. And yet the concept is still totally applicable to us as followers of Jesus living today. And we've learned some principles that, that are found in this ancient group of texts that are totally applicable to modern families. What does it 
look like to pass our faith on to the next generation? So as we come out of this series, it's important that we would remember these principles, not leave them behind, but these are the principles that we're passing along both to our kids and also to other people who don't know Jesus yet. So kids, this is just as applicable for you as it is for your parents. These principles are for you. Last week I had somebody be like, Oh, this is just a series for parents. Heard that from a kid. Just a series for parents. No, it's a series for you. Listen to your parents. Do what they say. No, not really. <laughs> yeah, that too. But yeah, do what your parents say. But, but it's really about, okay, what's it look like to own your faith as a kid? What's it look like to own your faith and put these principles into practice and stop giving your parents a hard time when they embrace the awkward and try and help you on the journey? That's your part as a kid. Jump in. Join in, allow God to shape who you are. So here's, we're just going to go through the first three principles really quick. The first one was that following Jesus means we need to learn, requires embracing exclusivity. That, that Jesus himself says he's it. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the only path to the Father. That's Jesus' claim. It's not my claim. Jesus said that about himself. So there's not another way. And that means that we need to, to be people who, who know that we know that, that people knowing Jesus is really important. Because there's not another path. There's not another way to God. The second thing that we learned was following Jesus means we, we learn to love Jesus most. Learning to love Jesus, it happens over time. Just like in, in a marriage relationship that you actually learn to love over time, you, you get married and, and you think that you know how to love, and then over time you're like, oh, this, is, this love thing's a lot of work. Because love is an action of loyalty over time. And then we learned what? We learned that... Following Jesus is a life to be lived. Following Jesus is a life to be lived. It's not a, a group of rules to be followed, although we allow God's word to transform who we are. It, it's, it's not um, simply a belief system. It's, it's recognizing that Jesus is a real person to be followed in the regular rhythms of life. And that's what we talked about last weekend. What's it look like to incorporate following Jesus in the regular rhythms of life in every single area as we walk through our day? And that leads us to this weekend's big idea, which is following Jesus is tangible. Following Jesus is tangible. And part of our job in passing along our faith to the next generation is to help them realize that following Jesus is tangible, to help make it tangible in their world, to help make it a, a, a concrete kind of thing. So let's start by defining tangible. What does it mean for something to be tangible? Here's what Webster says. Tangible is something that's capable of being perceived, especially by the sense of touch. It's something that's substantially real. That's one definition. The second definition is it's something that's capable of being precisely identified or realized by the mind. So of these definitions, which one are we talking about? We're actually talking about both. It's both of these. It's, it's tangible. It's something that, that we, can, we can touch. It's something that we can experience. And at the same time, it's something that can be realized in the mind. So as we, as we jump in here, it's important that we, we know that following Jesus is something that's, that's substantially real and it's, it's capable of being precisely identified or realized by the mind. And 
Following Jesus is not an abstract concept. It includes all of our senses. That's one of the things we're going to talk about, that, that we can include all of our senses in our experience of following Jesus. There was a period of time where, where the pursuit of God turned into a totally intellectual exercise, but that isn't what God intended for it to be. It's not just to, supposed to be an exercise of the mind. It includes all of who we are. So we're going to pick up, there's actually, we talked about three passages of scripture. Two of them are found in Deuteronomy. The third passage of scripture that makes up this group of scriptures recited twice a day is found in the book of Numbers. I don't think I've ever actually taught from Numbers. So this is the first time. Not, not probably the book that you turned to this morning. Maybe it is, good for you. But probably most of you are like, I didn't turn to Numbers. But here we are in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 15. And this is the third passage of scripture. It says, the Lord said to Moses as follows, speak to the Israelite people and instruct them to make for themselves fringes on the corners of their garments throughout the ages. Let them attach a cord of blue to the fringe at each corner. That shall be your fringe. Look at it and recall all the commandments of the Lord and observe them so that you do not follow your heart and eyes in your lustful urge. Thus, you shall be reminded to observe all my commandments and to be holy to your God. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I, the Lord, your God. It's important that, that we remember that every time we see that word Lord, that that's actually the covenant name of God. Huge, huge, huge that you would get when you read the Old Testament and you're reading the Lord. It's actually in the small caps Lord, probably in your, your translation of the Bible, that you would remind yourself that is not a generic term. That is a personal name. Now, I, I I personally, I get that we want to honor Jewish tradition by not saying that name. The name is Yahweh. I get that that's Jewish tradition, but Jewish tradition stands in a hindrance sometimes to Christian faith. And in my opinion, this is just my opinion, this is one of those times. Because we just think of it as a generic term, Lord is like God. And it is not. God is a generic term. What we're talking about isn't just God in general or of the gods, there's one. We're talking about the Lord. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh alone, the covenant God of the Bible who's revealed himself to us in Jesus. And we learned through this series that we can say Jesus is our God, Jesus alone. And so when we see that name Lord, there's a connection in, in, to, the, to the New Testament there that we need to draw as followers of Christ. That in the Old Testament, the covenant name of God was revealed as Yahweh. In the New Testament, the covenant name of God is, is revealed as Yahweh saves. And so all of a sudden, Jesus just doesn't show up on the scene in the New Testament. He's been here all along. Every time God speaks in the Old Testament, it's the word of God who became a man, Jesus. It's important that we know that. Well, I don't know, like, like I didn't hear, hear people teach that. Growing up, I never heard anybody, and all of a sudden, I went to school, and I heard somebody say that God's name was Yahweh, and I'm like, certainly not. 
I've never heard that. Well, yeah, it's right there in the text. It is the name of of God, the covenant name of God. And it's deep and it's significant that we would know the, the God who's revealed himself in a personal kind of way. And so he gives them this instruction to put fringe on their garments and then a blue cord. Why does that matter? Well, the fringe is really important. The fringe is a reminder of of God's word. It's a reminder that they have God's loving instruction. And the blue cord is a reminder of the priestly class and God's covenant with them, that, that they belong to God. And so it's a reminder that they are God's people. So every day when, you, when you're praying and you touch that could call it tassel, you touch the fringe of your garment, you see that blue cord, you're reminded that you belong to God. And so God says, you're going to see it. It's for you. You're going to see it, and you're going to remember. Now, here it's important that we get an Old Testament concept of remember. For us, remember is an intellectual exercise. If if we were to say, um, remember, it's simply we would go back in our mind and, and we would go back to something that had happened in the past and it would be an intellectual exercise in the mind. That is not the way God remembers in the Old Testament. When God remembers, and it says God remembered, and it refers to a person, it isn't like God forgot, and all of a sudden he's like, oh yeah, I still have that thing to do. That is not the remembering of the Old Testament. It means that God has acted on the behalf of someone. So when God remembers the children of Israel, it's connected to action. When God remembers specific people in the Old Testament, it's connected to action. So so he's saying to the children of Israel that you would remember me, that you would then what? That you would then act on the loving instruction that I gave you. This is another important thing that we would understand that as we read and we talk about the commandments, that, that that's something that's got a bad rap. The commandments, and when we, often when we think of commandments, we're like, oh man, I'm so glad Jesus came, and we don't have that commandment stuff anymore. Does that even matter? And the word commandment, I, I think it, it's one of those words that, that it's the right word, but it's, it's lost meaning over time as we look at, in particular, the, the 10 words. Uh, they're called the 10 commandments, but the translation is just the 10 words, In fact, they're referred to as the Decalogue. That's just the 10 words. What? The 10 words that God gave to the children of Israel in order that they would be a morally transformed people who follow the covenant God of the Bible. It's it's not like the rules and that's old and we don't need need that. It's, okay, God loves us enough to give us God to give us guides along the way that we would stay on the path, that he would tell us what's out of bounds. If you go past that boundary, oop, you're going to be out of bounds. Come back to the fairway. However you want to think of it, God has given us a path, and he's, he's put boundaries on the side of the path. He loves us enough to do that. It's much like parenting. As parents, if we love our kids, we are going to give them a path. That we will, we will set to be able to go, okay, you, you, you can do anything you want between the guardrails. But you got to stay between the guardrails. You can't jump the fence. You jump the fence, you're going to be in trouble. If we love our kids, that's what we do. And, and that is exactly what God has done for us. So 
what do we do with this as followers of Jesus? What do we do with this? Okay, the goal is not uh, take a trip to, to Jerusalem, go buy a prayer shawl, come home and, you know, twice a day, put yourself in the prayer shawl. And look. That's not the goal. Although if you do that, that's cool. That's, that, if that works for you, that's awesome. But that is not the goal. When we talked about how the goal isn't even just we would pray this twice a day. The, the goal is that we would live out the concepts. And so as followers of Jesus today who, who are not people who are called to recite this twice a day, what, what does it look like for us to put this into practice and why should we? The first thing that we need to remember is that spiritual practices make following Jesus practical. Spiritual practices make following Jesus practical. These aren't just... Um, oh, that's just part of religion. That's insignificant. That really doesn't matter. That's just part of maybe even church tradition. That, that is insignificant. So we're going to walk through some of them. These are, are tangible expressions of faith that, that God has given us that are still applicable to us as followers of Jesus today. The first one is baptism. What's baptism? It's a tangible expression of our faith in Jesus. It's a tangible expression that, that we would be immersed under the water, that once we've made a profession of faith in Christ, that we would be buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in a new life. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He said, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so it's not just some religious kind of activity that's insignificant. No, baptism is a public declaration that our lives are aligned with Jesus. And so as we go under the water, we're reminded that we are buried with Christ. The old us is dead to raise to walk in a new life. We could say raised to walk, to live it out, to put it into practice, to put our faith into motion. Now, when we see somebody be baptized, and we've been baptized, and we look and we see someone else who's been baptized, what is it for us? It's not just, good for you, and move on. You're like, okay, let's get to the singing part of the worship service, because, yeah, that part, that was cool, good for you. No, we're reminded every time we see someone get baptized, we're reminded of what? Of our baptism, of our death with Christ, that we too have been raised to new life. And so it's a, a tangible expression that builds faith as we see other people be baptized. We're reminded that we too have done that. And it's the reason that you may come out of a faith tradition that practices infant baptism. You may come out of that faith tradition. And we actually did a series a while back about sacraments and the difference between infant baptism and baptism of those who we would say believers baptism, who've made a profession of faith in Christ, who of their own volition, not as an infant, but of their own choice, said, I'm connected to Jesus. These are two different things. They're not the same thing. They're two, they use the same word, baptism, but they're different concepts, they're different ideas, and different meanings. They are not. It's, we use the illustration, it's, they're both fruit, but one's an apple and one's an orange. They're not the same. For us, we practice baby dedication, where we don't baptize the baby, we, we ask parents to make a public declaration of their intent to raise their child to know, love, and follow Jesus. And then that's, a, that's something that we do instead of infant baptism. 
But baptism is for those who've identified their lives with Christ. It's a tangible reminder of a spiritual reality. Another spiritual practice is communion. It's a tangible reminder of our death and resurrection with Christ. We're going to do that one today. That it's given, God has given us something to, to taste, to touch, in order that we would have a tangible reminder of a spiritual reality. Uh, we talked last week about, um, as we look at passing along our faith to the next generation, how do we start conversa- conversations? And, and I said that, that um, the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew's chapters 5 through 7 is a great passage where you could just hang out and you could have multiple conversations based upon this lesson that Jesus taught on a hillside in the northern region of Galilee in Israel where where he taught his followers this incredible group of truths that you could just hang out there. But in that, in in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. So Jesus is teaching at this time and he says, hey, um, beware, be careful of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. No, he doesn't say, hey, don't practice your righteousness. In our world, uh, and actually the, the word righteousness, it's, it's an incredible thing. It's something we should put into motion, but, but we've equated righteousness with self-righteousness, and so we, we tend to flee that. I don't, I don't want to be self-righteous, and so we flee away from practicing our righteousness. But that word just means our right standing with God. So he's saying, hey, when you practice your right standing with God, be careful not to be seen by other people. That's the only warning. It's about intent. It's about motive. It's about heart issues. It's not like, oh, don't do these. It says, what's the heart motive? Be careful that you're not doing them. And then he gives three spiritual practices that, that aren't like ordering pickles on your sandwich. Okay? These, these aren't like, ah, oh, this, no, hold the pickles. I don't like them. He gives three of them. Specific spiritual practices that as followers of Christ that, that Jesus assumes you're going to do. It's just a given. You're going to do these. And the first one is this. The first one is, is tied to giving. Giving is a tangible act of worship and declaration of dependence upon God. It's, it's a tangible it's a tangible act that, that God has given us that declares our dependence upon God. So he says this, when you give, it's not like, oh, if, if you give, it's when you give, don't make it a public declaration, keep this between you and God. And now in our world of electronic payments, giving can be something that, that um, is less than tangible. I remember, this was a long time ago, we crossed over in, in our family to giving online. And at first, that's a, hard, that's a hard crossover because we're used to writing a check and then, and then placing that at the church we went to at the time. They, they had an offering plate that would pass and we would put it into the offering plate. And when we did that, it was a, it was a, a real, tactile, tangible thing. 
And when I crossed over to having it just automatically happen in my bank account, that, that was something that lost the tangibility. And it, it took a crossover of the mind for me to be able to say, if I do this with every other area of my life, if I've automated every other area in my financial world, surely there can be a spiritual aspect to me automating my giving as well. So there's something that we can do that, to still make it tangible. The next one. The next one is prayer. In verse 5, he says, and when you pray, it's a given. Prayer is a tangible conversation with Jesus that declares my dependence upon God. Prayer declares my dependence upon God. I, I'm saying, God, I need you. I'm, I'm not acting independent of God. I'm acting dependent upon God. In fact, you could say prayerlessness is a declaration of independence. Have you ever thought about it that way? Prayerlessness is a declaration of independence. And that means prayerfulness is a declaration of dependence upon God. It's a tangible reminder of who God is when it turns into a conversation between God and me. As God and I have a conversation, there can be a real tangible expression. And that means we have to expand our definition of prayer. We need to expand our definition of prayer. And, and so instead of it just being this intellectual exercise that happens in my mind over time, I need to let, allow it to be transformed in order that it could engage all of who I am. If we think about the, 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 the practices of the of the Jewish faith. As we look back at the Jewish faith over time in the Old Testament, we see that, that God engaged them in all of their senses. It, it was something that they could see. They could smell the offering, right? They could smell the, the burning of the offering. They could, they could hear the sounds. They could, they could touch. They could taste. Everything was included. And so the God of creativity didn't leave that behind. It's not like he's like, oh, that doesn't matter anymore. I just now want to just invest in your mind. No, that happened in, in, in as a cultural transformation over time. Because we're like, oh, we don't have to engage in that old way. And the new way is it's simply an exercise that happens in the intellect. And I want to suggest to you that, that prayer is one of those things that loses power when we do that. If we just engage in prayer in the intellect, it loses power over time. I remember I read a book called Creative Prayer by a guy by the name of Chris Tigreen. In that book, he, he really challenged this idea that the only way to pray is through your mind. That, that God is communicating all kinds of ways and all kinds of time in different kinds of ways. And so we need to open ourselves up that, that if we believe that God is communicating to us, I say it this way, God speaks our language. So how are you wired? What are the things that you love to do? Last night after I said this, there was a, a gentleman who said, yeah, I totally get that. I, I, I'm I don't, you know, I, I, I connect with God in a lot of ways that other people do, but I'm very mechanical. And I remember this day that I, that, um, I had a belt break on a lawnmower, and I had to figure out how to rerun the belt on that lawnmower, and it's the most confusing thing you could ever possibly imagine. 
And it was the days before YouTube, so I just couldn't look it up real quick and figure out how to do it. And so I spent an hour trying to figure out how to make that belt run the right way through my lawnmower. And then I had the thought I could even ask God. And so I did. And in an instant, I had clarity about the exact way that that went through. But that wasn't all that God had for me. He actually said to me, hey, this is, this is an example in your life. That you think that, that the way things are going to work are going to be in a straight line, but it's a lot like this pulley in, in your journey with me. It's, it it kind of takes some twists and turns along the way, but, but to follow me, this is, this is what it's going to look like. God speaks our language. And so we, we need to go, when it comes to prayer, how do we move it past the list to engage all of who we are? And so, you know, I, I, I used to say I'm not a creative guy because I don't sing. I sing, but by myself and with my daughter. You know, those are the only two. I, I, I don't sing. I don't paint. I don't draw. But if you do, certainly God wants to use that in your prayers. And we look back in time, the great artists were, were Christian kind of people as they had these great works of art. It's not just, oh, that's a wonderful work of art. There was an interaction with the God of scriptures in order to express through creativity, God's communication, their communication with God, God's communication to them. And, and we need not leave that behind because we think that's not significant. How has God wired you? What has God given to you in a way that you connect with him? That, that you could say, wow, I could allow that to play out in my life. The third tangible expression, we would get those first two. Okay, I've heard people say that. I've heard people say, yeah, I give, yeah, pray, I get that. But fasting? Fasting? That seems like that's a varsity Christian move. <laughs> I'm okay playing JV. Because fasting, well, I don't know about that, but fasting is a tangible feeling of hunger to declare my dependence upon God. Now, I'm not talking about modern fasting. I'm talking about biblical fasting. There's no fasting from social media in the Bible, okay? Fasting is food. You don't get to make up your own fasting. I'm going to make this one up. I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to deprive myself of something that I really don't like anyway. So for Lent, I'm giving up Facebook. It's a good thing. Just don't call it fasting. Fasting is this tangible feeling of hunger that comes with going without food. The one thing that we all come in, have in common is we got to eat. We all have the same thing that happens when we don't eat. We get hangry. I, I feel, I have this feeling inside of me right now that says I got to eat something right now. And when that happens, then I can be reminded that, that I don't need exclusively food, that, that Jesus is the bread of life. He, he is enough, that the word of God is the true bread that I need. And I can remind myself through that tangible expression of hunger that's going on in my gut of just how much I need Jesus. And it only lasts for a period of time, and then it's over, and then I get to eat. So I want to encourage you, if you've never experimented with fasting, try it. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to hate it. 
For years, I, I wouldn't do this one. I just wouldn't do it. I was like, I'm not doing that. I love food. I don't need that. Freedom in Christ. Right? I'm free, man. No longer bound by that stuff. Jesus is like, when you fast, yeah, man, but I'm free. And then I began to do it. And I'm like, you know what? Here's the, here's the secret. It requires practice. It requires that you do it. And as you do it, then, then you begin to discover, oh, wow, I can, first of all, actually do this. And it becomes something significant in your world. And here's, here's the goal. These tangible expressions of faith are meant to move the truth from your head to your heart to action. Think of it this way, from your head to your heart to your hands to your feet. What does it look like for us to put our faith into action? Because as we learned through this series, truth applied equals depth. Truth applied equals depth. Taking the truth, having the conversation in your family isn't enough. It's taking it and having the conversation and putting it into action. So as we look to be people who invest in passing along our faith to the next generation, here's a tip. Make it simple, daily, and doable. Make it simple, daily, and doable. These are three words, I'm not exaggerating when I say three words that change my life. When I realized that I could take and make following Jesus simple, daily, and doable, all of a sudden it began to transform who I was. Now, do not confuse simple with easy. These two are not the same. It may be very difficult for you. It may be something that's outside of your comfort zone. It's a simple thing, but it's not a comfortable thing. And so simple does not mean easy. But don't make it complicated. That's all it's saying. Keep it simple. Do it with some kind of regular consistency. As we've, as we've learned, this Deuteronomy 6 kind of mentality, that's like, when do we do it? We do it in the morning. We do it at night. We do it on the way. We do it in the house. It, it, we, what do we do? We're all the time in the regular rhythm of life. And then it's got to be something that I can put into action. How do I put something into motion? How do I act upon this truth that God is teaching me. Now, this, this week, um, man, we had sermon meeting on Tuesday, and um, I, I'm going to stop here for the question. How many of you would say you connect with God in nature? I'm going to ask you to play along. All of our venues play along. How many of you connect with God in nature? Um, yeah, I'm not going to rip on you. I'm actually jealous of you. I, I wish that was true of me. People would say that, and I'll be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I know the heavens declare the glory of the God. Oh, great. But I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's not my language. My years in the Marine Corps, um, they ruined nature for me. <laughs> my kids grew up deprived, never got to camp because of that. I don't want to spend another night in a tent in my life. Yeah. But this week, I'm going on a hike. And so for a month now, I've been intending to go to Lacant to go on a hike. Mount Lacant, I was going to go up there, just me. I, I, it, and it wasn't a spiritual exercise. It was just a fitness exercise. It was just like, okay, I, I, I want to go do this. I did this a couple years ago. I want to go do this again. And I want to see how fast can I make it up and how fast can I make it down. That's it. I don't want anybody to go with me. I want to do it by myself. It's just a fitness exercise. And then coming out of our sermon meeting on Tuesday, I was like, okay, well, wait a minute. Maybe this could be a spiritual kind of journey. You know, this whole path 
following Jesus. Okay, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could do that. And so I decided to experiment with this. So I show up, I'm at the trail, got my, got my shoes on, ready to head up the trail. I forgot all about the spiritual part of it. I forgot all about that, man. I, I, I forgot something happens between Tuesday and Friday and I'm just going up the trail. And then all of a sudden God starts to bring some stuff to mind and I'm seeing things that, that I don't normally see. Normally I wouldn't be paying attention to the grooves in the rock. But all of a sudden I'm starting to see these grooves in the rock. And as I'm going up and, and, and there's, there's these grooves in the rock and, and they're kind of providing more traction than if they weren't there and they've been cut by water over time. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is a spiritual journey. I begin to ask God questions in my mind. Hey, what, what is it that you're trying to show me here? And he said, notice the, the power of water in shaping that rock over time. As that water flows and how that, that rock is shaped. And I begin to notice that. And then I was like, was there something else? And then it was like, okay, notice how once that, those grooves in the rock, they're, they're not pretty. There's nothing attractive about them. Uh, there's nothing about that rock. You're like, oh, that's a better looking rock because it has grooves in it. But notice how it's giving you traction on the way up. As you're ascending up this trail, notice how you have more traction because of the grooves. David, David as I work in the hearts of people, it can be like that, 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 that as my spirit is shaping their heart on the inside, as these things maybe even as you look back and go, oh, I wish they weren't there. It, it's given to, that people on the journey can have traction as, they, as they're on the ascent, as they're on the journey with me. It can happen over time. And it's only through the, the, the living water, the power of the spirit within you flowing over time, shaping your hard heart over time that that happens. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And then I get up on the top and I'm disappointed because I look down, I can't see anything because I'm above the clouds and it's very disappointing. And then I, I take the obligatory selfie in front of the, the, the cabin. I really was here. And I go back down. And here's what I notice on the way down. All these grooves that were, that were providing more traction on the way up, on the way down, they, they weren't as helpful. The rocks were, were slipperier on the way down than they were on the way up in the, the direction of the water. And, and I'm like, okay, what's that about? And here's what God brings to mind. He's like, yeah, the, matter, the, the direction that you're on the path matters. If you're going the wrong way on the path, you won't have traction. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then... I, I, I had to stop a bunch on the way down. I kind of had some goals going on, right? I wanted to get down much quicker than I got up. And so I passed these people and I come to this flat part and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna run to make up some time. And I, I go to take off running and I catch my left foot, boom, and I tumble, roll around, bam, right back to my feet. And the first thing I did was, who saw me? <laughs> right? Who saw me? And that was the end of the spiritual journey. <laughs> From there to the bottom, I just wanted to get down, get home, call it a day, and I was done. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that's all God has for me. But then, guess what? I'm, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm talking about this last night, and God brings something to mind. He's like, that was the lesson. As soon as you put your eyes on you, the lessons were over. How many of us do that? God, where are you? My everything stinks and my hip hurts and my hand hurts and I make it down. And where are you right now? The lessons are over. 
When I was open and I was paying attention and I was looking, he was giving me all kinds of stuff. When I got all consumed with me, he's like, we'll do this again later. What does God have for you? As we take a look at next steps this week, it's important that we would, we would go, okay, how do I keep this simple, daily, and doable? And so the, the next step, we just have two of them this week. One is to do the live it out. Do it in your family. Do it together. What's it look like for you to put your faith into motion? And we've tried to make it simple, daily, doable, tangible, that you could go, okay, this is something we can do this week. I think we talked about one-way signs, and from the time that we wrote that to um, today, I have yet to see a one-way sign. So I don't know where they are. You may know where one is. Send me a text. We'll send it out to everybody if you want to find a one-way sign. So change that question and put a yield sign or a stop sign or something else in there. I just couldn't find a one way sign. But there's, there's a tangible opportunity for you to have conversations in your family to, to make following Jesus simple, daily, and doable. And here's the, the, the one sentence prayer for this week. Every time you put your shoes on or take them off, pray this, Jesus, I will follow you today. I did do that on, I, as I was going up. I was I'm like, this is about following Jesus. I did practice this this week. We, 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 I did a test run, so to speak. Jesus, I'm going to follow you today. So every time you put your shoes on, every time you take your shoes off, remember, there's a path to be followed. Jesus is inviting you to go on the journey with him. And so as you get ready to go out of your house, you put your shoes on, remind yourself, Jesus, I'm going to follow you today. As you step back into your house after being gone for the day, you probably really need it about right now. You take your shoes off. You're like, I'm still following you, Jesus. But we're going to do now is a tangible expression. And so... We're gonna say so long to all of our venues. Your venue pastor is gonna come right now and, and is gonna lead you through this tangible expression of, of new life that we have in Christ. So they're gonna come right now and, and lead you through that. Here in live, I'm gonna invite you to go ahead and take out that little wafer on the top. What you hold in your hand is a tangible reminder of a spiritual reality. During his final Passover feast, Jesus connected the bread to his body. And he said to his followers that, that this bread, it represents my body, which is given for you. At the time, they had no idea what he was talking about, but we do. That, that he was going to a cross in order that, that we too might have a new life in him. And so what you hold in your hand, what you're about ready to, to put in your mouth isn't just um, something insignificant that tastes like cardboard. It's a tangible reminder, the body of Christ given for you. Take and eat with a grateful heart. And as you open the cup, you have a tangible reminder of what? The blood of Christ that's for you. The blood of Christ that covers over all sin. The blood of Christ that represents a new covenant that, that we have 
a, a relationship with the covenant God of the Bible through the blood of Christ. And that's something that can never be taken away from us because we have new life in Christ. For those who have life in Christ, it's something that can never be taken away. Why? It is sealed by the Holy Spirit. It is in the blood of Christ. You could say that this was the signature that he said, you belong to me. And so as you drink this juice that represents the wine that that Jesus gave during the Passover feast to his, his followers and said, drink this. And I want you to remember the new covenant sealed in my blood. Take and drink the grateful heart. Make it tangible. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, friend, neighbor, aunt, uncle, friend. Make it tangible. Make it an expression. Make it real. So now what we're going to do is we're going to sing another tangible expression to declare our praise to Jesus. A tangible expression that we have, that we can declare our praise is through singing. So I'm going to invite you to stand. God, we need you now. Even in our worship, we're in desperate need of you. Would your spirit guide our worship, we ask in Jesus' name.